In January and February this year, we're looking at this series, I Met Jesus, on a Sunday morning. And so, if you work it out right, like I've done, there's nine sessions altogether. Today's the fifth one, so we're halfway through. So I thought a little recap might be good, especially if you've not joined us on a Sunday morning before and you just sort of think, what have they been on about then? What's been so interesting? What's drawn them back again? So let's have a think about what we've been saying over these last few weeks. And then in February, if you're able to join us again, you'll be able to see what else is going on with the different people that Jesus met. Here's a big question. It's rhetorical, so you don't need to answer it and say, oh, I know the answer. Here's the question. What was Jesus's mission? Have a think about it for 10 seconds. I've got two scriptures to help us to think about what Jesus's mission was. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. That's John 10, 10. That's part of Jesus' mission, to come that we might have life, real life, not sort of life that kind of is here today and gone tomorrow. The other one, now the Son of God came to earth with the express purpose of liquidating the devil's activities. 1 John 3, 8 from Philip's New Testament. Now I really like that Greek verb at the bottom there, luo. It's a great word. This is what someone defined it as. It's translated destroy, but it can also mean dissolve, loose, untie, release, let go, to overthrow or break. It Figuratively, it can mean to release what has been held back. It's only three letters and it means all that. I love words like that. That sort of have a lot of meaning. Jesus came to release us from the real chains of sin, death, and the devil. That was Jesus' mission. Millions of people have met Jesus. For 33 years, he walked on the earth. And then for three years, there was his public ministry where he walked around Galilee and walked around Jerusalem. People met him. People were changed by Jesus. In all those centuries since Jesus walked on the earth, people are still meeting Jesus. People are still being changed by Jesus. So let's briefly just reconsider what we've been talked about over the last four weeks. Who are the people we've met so far? The first person we thought about was Lazarus. And we remember how I brought some chains and I was trying to take the chains off. Jesus takes our chains off. Jesus said to Lazarus, come forth. And the chains of death came off him and he came forth. The people on Emmaus, they had had a terrible time over that weekend Two people walk into Emmaus who are Jesus' disciples, maybe man and wife. They didn't understand what was going on. But Jesus walked along with them. Jesus talked about himself. And then when he went into their house or their lodging house, then he broke bread. And suddenly they realised it was Jesus. They met Jesus and their eyes were opened. 
two weeks ago, Nick was talking about the Samaritan woman at the well. And he was saying how there were several taboos that were broken when Jesus went to speak to the lady at the well. She repented of what was going on. But it wasn't just a one-off repentance, but it was a continuous thing. And other people that knew her in the village where she lived, they came to know Jesus as well. They met Jesus and they were changed. Last week, we looked at Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And there it says there was an option because all those people, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, had the option of whether to worship God or whether to worship Nebuchadnezzar. If you've read the story in the book of Daniel, you will know that they said, it doesn't matter what's going to happen to us, we are worshipping God. God is first. It doesn't matter what we've thought about in the past. God is our number one. And that's what we were talking about last week. And that's so brilliant because talking about uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego last week helps us to think about what's going to be talked about today. Because if we make God number one in our lives, then the question is, what do we do next? And that's what we're going to think about this morning. We've decided to worship God, so what do we do with that? We're going to come prepared. Those bunches of flowers just remind me of me and Jill a few years ago. We've been married. I worked it out 123 months uh, the other day. I'm a romantic at heart. But the thing was, in the early days, if I'd have just turned up, hi, Jill, how you doing, babe, or something like that, that would have been absolutely awful and terrible. And her shoulders are going now. Her shoulders wouldn't have been going then. I can tell you, I had to be prepared. Did I have to be prepared? Thank you. That is the correct answer. She didn't notice I was prepared. Oh, no. Yes, I prepared myself before I went in the early days of going out with Jill. I prepared myself. I might have taken a bunch of flowers once, had the keenest smile on or something like that. But I thought about going to see Jill and, okay, if I'm honest, trying to impress her. Because that's what you do when you start to go out with someone, don't you? You're sort of saying, oh, I want you to stay with me. I like you. I want you to like me as well. And so I came prepared. Each of the four Gospels have a similar story to what Colin read this morning. But the thing is, what does that encounter with Jesus teach us today? Those four different things that happened, we can have a look at them here. All the different four ways that the Gospels, the four Gospels talk about it. They're all the references. And often when I'm sort of reading through the Bible, it's not part of the Bible as such, but there'll be lots of headings about, aren't there? And that helps me so, to, to find things. So I've put the four headings that are there. As you can see, three of them are at Bethany, which is more in the south of Israel, near Jerusalem, near the Dead Sea. And so we think that probably those three occasions are one and the same. But this other one, the Luke chapter 7, where a sinful woman is forgiven, that is probably somewhere else. Well, it is somewhere else. It's more up north by the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. So people think that Luke is one incident and the other three are probably the same incident. But sort of the same incident as each other, but not the same one as Luke. Oh, I think I explained that okay. The thing is, 
we want to think about who was involved in the story. There's three main people. It happens in a Pharisee's house. So obviously, the Pharisee was there. Simon. Jesus was there. And then there was this lady that was there as well. There's another interesting Greek word, amatolos. And that is talking about this sinful life. I've got a definition about that. To forfeit by missing the mark or to experience loss from falling short of what God approves. So it's saying this woman was wide of the mark of what God wanted in her life. She was a blatant sinner. She wasn't just a sinner. She was blatant. That's what this word is saying. Some, uh, some of the versions of the Bible say she was a prostitute. She was a blatant sinner. And she went into a Pharisee's house. Now, that was normal at that kind of time, that you'd, you'd invite some guests around, and then maybe the doors open, and some other people would just pop in as well and have a look. That was kind of the culture at the time. So the Pharisee didn't invite the lady, definitely not. But she just happened to be there, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. The Pharisee, Simon, didn't want the lady there. And that's because Pharisees kept their distance from sinners. If you remember, Pharisees were kind of the super holy people of the day. They separated themselves from all kinds of people because they wanted to be holy. I think that's really funny, though. They separated themselves because they wanted to be holy. Jesus the holiest of all, welcome sinners. Come and be with me. Come and lunch with me. You're mine. I love you. Such a different from the Pharisees. Keep away. I can't be holy if you come near me. Jesus, I am holy. Come near me and you can be holy too. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus welcomes sinners. Jesus welcomes me. Jesus welcomes you. Now, no matter how you're feeling today, what's been going on in the week, Jesus welcomes you. Because he loves you. You're important to him. The Pharisee then, he would have really immersed himself in the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament and he knew all the traditions of the law and, and all the things that had come up through the centuries as, after the law was written. But the funny thing is, again, that even though the Pharisee knew the Old Testament really well, he totally missed the point about Jesus. And the person who we'd least expect to know what Jesus was talking about, a sinful woman, she got the point exactly. She understood that she had sinned. She understood that she needed Jesus. Isn't it true that often the kingdom of God makes things go topsy-turvy, where one thing you think would happen, definitely something else has happened. Jesus says things that really make us go, wow, even today, Jesus can make us say, wow, I think. The Pharisee looks at the woman 
and sees a sinner. Terrible things are going on in his house because the lady had un, sort of clipped her hair and, and taken her hair down. That was a big no-no. You own, a lady would only show her long hair to her husband. The Pharisee would have thought that by taking her hair down, it was the same as showing her chest to people. It was that wrong that you just wouldn't do it. So here this lady was in his house with her hair down, which was so terrible to do. But there's something else funny going on. She was anointing Jesus. And the Pharisee would have thought or knew that Jesus was a prophet. But that would have got him a bit puzzled, a bit, what's going on here? Because if Jesus was a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman that was. But again, the Pharisee got it wrong, didn't he? Jesus knew who this woman was and what she'd done and what she was like. But she saw, she, he saw her as a new creation as well. She, he knew that he, she could change. It was undesirable for that woman to be there. So the Pharisee thought. But Jesus was there. And Jesus draws all kinds of people to him. The Pharisee wouldn't even have wanted to look at the woman. She'd have been that offensive to him. So what does Jesus say? Verse 44, do you see this woman? He was getting the Pharisee to not just blank her out, but to concentrate on her. Jesus saw that the lady was full of repentance and was showing lavish worship to him. Jesus loved both the Pharisee and the woman equally. This is a great verse. I'll read it to you. Romans 3, 23 from the Passion Translation. For we have all sinned and are in need of the glory of God. Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favour now cascades over us. All because Jesus, the Anointed One, has liberated us from the guilt, punishment and power of sin. The woman that was anointing Jesus knew about that cascade of love and forgiveness. That's why she was able, even in a hostile environment, because she would have felt, you do, don't you? You feel when someone is looking at you and doesn't like you or, or something, but you feel it. She would have felt that. But did she care? She was worshipping her Lord. She was worshipping Jesus. We have all sinned. God loves us all equally. His favour and his love cascades over all of us. The woman was intentional, remember. She didn't just happen to walk past the Pharisee's house and pop in. She didn't just happen to have this really expensive perfume with her. Let's look at, back at a slide we read earlier, Luke 7.37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, remember she was a blatant sinner, learned that Jesus was eaten at the Pharisee's house. She learned about it. 
So she didn't just carry on doing her own thing, doing the washing, doing whatever she was wanting to do. She made a beeline for Jesus. She knew he was there, but she didn't want to go on her own. She knew that wouldn't be good enough. So she had this uh, jar. It's an alabaster jar, and I had to look it up because I'm not really into this sort of stuff, alabaster and all of that. So we might call it plaster of Paris today or, or gypsum. And there were probably lovely designs on this jar because it was expensive, the jar. And it was even more beautiful what was inside. They were precious. They'd have cost the the woman a lot of money. Some people think that the thing that was in the jar was imported from India. All that time ago, it came from India to go to Israel. That lady used it intentionally, worshipfully, and with care. The Pharisee didn't like it. And you know, sometimes when we're worshipping God, giving God our everything, people may not like what we're doing. When we're worshipping, it's so easy to worship at home, isn't it? Because you might just, just kneel down to God. Perhaps it's not so easy when you're with other people, but you might just kneel God down or be prostrate before God when you're at home on your own. You might sing some songs or pray in tongues or you might just read some scripture and say, Lord, I trust you, I love you, I'm worshipping you. But remember that hostile environment, the Pharisee, and maybe there were several Pharisees there, and yet she was just kneeling at Jesus' by the back of him and just with her hair down and and washing his feet with her tears and with uh, with the perfume coming out. A few years ago, I was watching the Queen's coronation on television. And isn't it wonderful that it's going to be 70 years? And there's been seven coronations in the last 200 years or so in the UK. And usually, as part of, well, always, as part of the service, uh, a really important person uh, who's an outstanding citizen, who's usually the Archbishop of Canterbury, will come and anoint the monarch in his great big cathedral. Here this lady was, a blatant sinner, anointing Jesus in a house with people that were hostile to her. But she anointed him with love and passion and from the heart. She brought Jesus her worship when other people were around and were disapproving of her. That's a real example, isn't it? That as we come to worship God, whether it's together or with other people, to me, it makes me want to say, yes, Lord, in my life, I want to worship you with everything I've got. I want to worship extravagantly like that lady worshipped you. Not counting the costs, not thinking, oh, I'll give this 15 minutes. I want to give time to Jesus. I know sometimes if I'm downtown and I want something quick to eat, I might go for a coffee and a croissant or something. And then I'm straight back out and and doing other things. I wonder if our quiet times can be like that sometimes. Just a quick fix. Oh, I need to do this today. And yet 
the lady gave so much. And that's an encouragement for us all. Strangely, this week I decided to sort out something from the loads of files that I have. And so I decided to sort out some of my finance files. And uh, there was a few things in there that I knew I was going to recycle. For example, here's a transaction record. It goes back to 2010. But uh, I'm not going to say too much about that. But there's dozens and dozens of them. I've put them in recycling now. So they're going out of the house on Wednesday, hopefully, if the strike's not happening still. There's loads of stuff there that I didn't know, which I knew about, that I knew I wouldn't need. Do you mind if I shock you, just for a moment? There's also this in my finance thing. It's a tiramisu packaging from Asda, and it's probably been in a file for over 10 years. (laughs) Thanks for laughing at me. That's all right. The thing is this. What's in your life that you know about and you're doing nothing about? I knew those were there and I needed to get rid of them. I sorted it out today. There's some things in there that were just rubbish, really. I needed to come out and go into the recycling. Could we in our lives be having things that are there and we know about and we need to deal with in worship but don't do anything about? Could there be things in our lives that we don't know about that we need to sort out? If we're going to come and worship God with all we've got, then sometimes these things in our lives get in the way. And just as I sorted out my stuff from some of the files this week, I know sometimes when I sit down quietly with God, he doesn't say about transaction slips. He might talk about anger. He might talk about patience. He might talk about lust. Having a short fuse. How does God talk to you when you're sitting down quietly and listening to him? What does he say? That I love you, but what are you doing about so-and-so? You're worshipping me, so deal with that issue. Maybe it's a relationship with someone that you need to sort out. Maybe it's just something that's just crossed your mind now. And if we're going to worship God like that lady worshipped God, we need to sort our lives out, don't we? Do we sit at the table like Simon the Pharisee did and say, I don't really need God? Everything's all right in my life. Or do we sit at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I so need you. I might have been a Christian 40 years or 50 years or however long it is, a year. But still, Lord, I need you. There's still things you're saying that my life needs to change about. There's still things where you're not happy. And if I let you speak to me about that, I'll know but because I just give you a few minutes every day, I don't hear about it. The Pharisee's house would have been full of a beautiful smell 
after the woman had anointed Jesus. And in some ways, it doesn't matter what you physically smell like. But I'm asking you, perhaps God is asking you, how do, you rem- how do people remember you when they've seen you and had a conversation with you? Are they happy to have seen you? Or do they kind of, oh, I can see that person coming 100 yards away downtown. I'm just going to go another way. Do we have a pleasant smell like that aroma of the lady gave when she anointed Jesus? Or is our normal life not nice smelling? Meeting Jesus will challenge you and cause you to change. But we need to think about how we're intentionally going to worship Jesus. Here's a scripture about worship. He has made it clear to you, mortal man, what is good and what the Lord is requiring from you to act with justice, to treasure the Lord's gracious love and to walk humbly in the company of your God. That's all about worship. That's what God is calling us to do, to do all of those things. Earlier, I asked the question, or at least you'd have read it on here. I didn't actually say it. Can we still meet Jesus today? Of course we can. We can certainly meet Jesus How extravagant will you be this afternoon or this evening as you talk to Jesus? Will you be that extravagant that you'll remember some sins in your life and confess them to God? Will you be that extravagant that you just say, Lord, for so many years I've been going one way and wanting to do things in my way. I'm sorry. Let me be extravagant as you've shown me and lavished extravagant love. Lord, to be really open to you, to where you want me to go, what you want me to do. We can meet Jesus intentionally now and when we're at home and we're in Asda or Sainsbury's or Lidl, wherever we go, or at work, when we're walking along, we can meet Jesus intentionally. We know worship isn't just singing songs. We might raise our hands in the next few minutes. We might sing with gusto. We might pray out loud or read a scripture. And all of that is part of worship. But remember what Micah said. Walk humbly. Love justice. Show mercy. That's worship as well. Worship means we're walking humbly with God. Shall we open our lives to God? Shall we walk humbly with him? I wonder what God's going to say to us individually as we worship him. What's God going to say as we open our lives and say, I want to be where you are. I want to do what you want me to do. So we're going to pray and then we're going to sort of have a time of worship whatever that might be. We might sing a few songs. 
But worship is just saying, yes, I'm going to walk humbly with you, God. I'm going to listen. I'm going to act and do what you want me to do. So thank you, Lord, for the example of this lady. She was a blatant sinner, but she was a real worshipper. Lord, help us to fall at your feet like she did and not sit at the table. Help us, Lord, to give of ourselves in strong, real ways, knowing that it is you who loves us and it's you who we serve. Amen.